Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck, and I'm a best-selling author, certified mindset coach, psychology student, former lawyer, wife, and mother to two primary school-aged girls. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Danielle Smith. Danielle is a mama to two, so she's got a five-and-a-half-year-old boy and an 18-month-old daughter. So let's dive in. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks, Elise. So I would love to start off with, if you could give your pre-motherhood self any advice about motherhood, what would that be? Oh, so many things. Um, I think the biggest thing I've been chatting about recently with some friends has been expectations. Um, is, I mean, on the one hand, we talked about wanting to like hold high expectations and lift up to that. But I think that the world does that enough for us that I find that if I set my bar low in terms of what I'll be able to achieve that day or expectations for myself or whether it's my child's going to be the prodigy who's able to do all of these things by this age, um, <laughs> that as soon as I kind of let go of all of that and went, cool, today we got out of our pyjamas. Awesome. It's been a great day. Um, and some days that is, <laughs> that's it. And having those expectations, not that I've got this list a mile long and I'm going to meet all 20 parts of it. Um, I think that's a big one for me. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Sorry. It sounds like you're going to say something I else. Think the yeah. other thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, to follow the child. I had so many well-meaning friends. I was one of the last of my friendship group to have kids. So I've kind of seen how they've done it for all their multiple kids. I've had people giving advice. I'd read the books. Um, and so I had these things in mind of what was going to happen. Um, one of those being like, okay, you're going to play sleep eat or whatever the order is that they say. And I like, I like routine. I like schedule. This sounds good. Let's do it and then it was like okay so my baby's had a feed they're supposed to be have had a sleep and have played and now we're on the second feed hang on our first feed hasn't finished yet what the heck's going on um and but as soon as I let go of that that I didn't have to meet everyone else's expectations and just go okay what does my kid need what do I need and go that that's okay then all the stress melted away and it was just yeah it was better it was just us it was just working out what worked for us it was follow the child was I guess is the mm. takeaway for that for me yeah that's so important yeah. um I mean my my first didn't like a second of routine until around seven when she started craving and asking yeah. routine so then we moved oh. to mainstream school and then she loved it. So it's like your kid knows, follow your kid, <laughs> trust the kid. If yeah. it's not routine, honestly, they'll start creating it. And everyone has a rhythm to their day anyway. Everyone yeah. has patterns that children pick up on. Everyone goes to the toilet and washes their hands. It's a subtle routine or a subtle, a subtle rhythm. Yeah. Everyone sort of, you know, has dinner and then a little while later gets ready for bed or the sun goes down a bit like there's natural routines embedded um just in your mannerisms in, in your day you really don't have to try and do anything extra and the child kind of 
children create their own routines at times. They'll just, you'll notice they have a pattern and then you get used to their pattern and then they disrupt it and it's a new pattern. And it like completely debunks the idea that you can teach them a bad habit because we all know no matter what phase this child's in, the only certainty is that they're going to change this pattern and then a whole new, so they don't get stuck in any habit. They do something for a while. Then you wake up one day and they do something completely different. And every parent is like, my child was doing this. Now they're not doing this. They're dropping naps. Like this is evidence guys that there's no habits you're forming or breaking children just they're going to just, you just provide them love, they develop, and then they'll go through new phases. And when they're ready for a routine, if they ever are, they're going to let you know, you know? Um, yeah. So I really- yeah, I love how you said rhythms. Yeah. Sorry. I love how you said rhythms there. It's really rhythms and seasons as well, I found. Like, as you get longer term now, having the five-year-old boy, we've been through lots of the different seasons. And, yeah, seeing that the things change, so... You can be more relaxed about it. And when you have the good ones, it's cool. Enjoy this one. You don't know how long it'll last. And when you have the challenging ones, it's okay. This too shall pass. (laughs) Yeah. And it does. And I think that is like the motto of motherhood. It's like this too shall pass, whether it's something wonderful or whether it's something difficult, you know, and each child sort of goes through easier phases and more difficult phases. Um, And it just, it's going to pass and that the more you lean in and you surrender to that phase, like the more when it passes, you benefit. Like I had a, um, I was doing some assessments of my my eldest um, with, well, with a, a psychologist. And um, I was saying, it's interesting. She was like a really kind of chaotic, high needs, intense um, kid until like around seven. <laughs> then she just okay. calmed down. And and then suddenly this kid that I thought probably wouldn't sit still in a normal primary school, I thought, no, she could, she can now. Now she's thriving in that system. And she said to me, it's because you did all this co-regulation. You met all of that chaos with calm. And eventually that calms a kid. I'm like, wow, yeah. thanks for the props. But you know, I think that's important for people to know. Like if you give in in quotations to the chaos by being calm and lovely, you're actually preventing chaos in the future is actually you know um, so I I think that's such important stuff to know and the first thing you said I want to touch on about um, expectations I think um, there's a spectrum with people and some people have exceptionally high expectations and some people have none and I think both people need to come to the center if you're someone that puts a lot of pressure on yourself and you really challenge yourself and you want to be perfect you're a perfectionist um, you want to do everything right. Like motherhood is, it will crush you if you try to have that attitude because you won't be able to get it right and you just feel like a failure because you're trying to be too perfect and you literally can't achieve perfection with this thing. And so those kind of personalities need to like, they need to calm it down and they need to give themselves grace and they need to like be like, you know what, like let me just slow things right down, take a pause and take things one day and one step at a time and not future pace and not catastrophize like just get in my body and get in this moment and notice what my kid is and be present with my kid so get out of the head and into the body but there are, there's other people that the expectations of themselves are far too low and honestly motherhood becomes all about them and making the child more convenient to them and I think those people could lift their expectations of what they expect for themselves as parents to be honest so I think um it's you know 
there's the middle ground of doing your best and then giving yourself grace and also knowing if you're someone that tends to drive yourself to burn out, you're the kind of person that needs to like, yeah, take the pressure off. Yeah. And I think even like what just came to me when you were sharing that is like mixing the two points together of that our expectations can be seasonal as well. So I know that at various points, I've definitely been on the have too much expectation. And then when I had a four-year-old and a newborn, all of a sudden my expectations were too high. And for me, I had to drop them down to almost nothing for that season just to kind of get through. But then I picked them back up a little bit, not sky high, but yeah, just the, the expectations, they don't always have to sit in the same place as well, I think. Yeah. Totally. I think we're always experimenting and finding the balance. I don't think we just reach the balance and stay there. I think we're kind of just trying things out and life gives us feedback. And, you know, I saw this thing. It was like, it's not the most intelligent or strongest of the species that survives. It's the most adaptable. I think it was Charles Darwin, um, the theory of evolution that said that, that that it's the most adaptable of the species. And I think it's such an important thing and an important skill set that we can look at our environment and adapt. Um, and to, yeah, and we need to, be able to look at our children and adapt. Um, yeah, love that discussion. So if you could describe your early motherhood years, um, what would that be like? We first become a mom. What's, what is it like becoming a mom and finding yourself in motherhood? <laughs> um, amazing, overwhelming, frustrating, <laughs> um, complete roller coaster um a big learning curve um I learned a lot about myself um becoming a parent more so than I ever had before and I've always been someone who's tried to learn about myself and but yeah you become a parent um and it changes they make you lift your game they point out all of your challenging areas where you need to improve. Um, Yeah, they show you what love is and the amazing things in that, but also the triggering and challenging (laughs) parts in that. I think it's a a constant as well. Um, One of the things that I know, it's part of the way that I choose to parent, but it's, because I do more attachment parenting and my kids bed share and like my daughter she has never had a sleep in her whole 18 months that was not on me um whether that's night time or nap time and yes that's partially it's how I choose to do it I don't know that she would give me much other choice either but I guess it's just it's a lot and it's full-on um for a little bit so there's that yeah just overwhelmed but beauty in it as well Mm, mm, yeah there's this wild primal intensity that um at the time seems almost impossible to to be with but now my children are five and eight now and I look back and I'm like oh I'm so proud of myself for doing that and I'm so grateful for those times and I'm so grateful for seeing how I show up in a difficult period I'm so grateful for watching my own persistence and determination and I'm so grateful I can look at my children with no regret like I know that I gave my best you know like I know I showed up 
And there's literally, I was just thinking about this last night. I, I, I think, you know, I look back and I gave so much, like my eldest was the same as um, sounds like your 18 month old. I had like, if she was going, I had no option. She had to sleep on me because if she didn't sleep on me, she wouldn't sleep. And then she'd get overtired. And then it was just, whoa. <laughs> oh, no one wanted to be there and overtired. And you were just trying to, the day was like actively trying to get sleep into her because the more you got sleep into her, the more she would then sleep. If you fell behind on her sleep, it was nuts. Um, and so it was just my whole life was like going on walks. Will a walk in the carrier while breastfeeding get over sleep? Well, you know, I was just this proactive because her brain was just so on. It wouldn't switch off. But if I, if I could get her to sleep, at least in the morning, get like a bit in, then the rest of the day she'd sleep more and then I had a good day. Um, but the flip of that was this really intense screaming oh overwhelming days uh, that me trying to solve her and get her to sleep once she'd already gone away to sleep it was so much harder so um I totally it's it's so hard to get through that um but I look back now and even though I gave all of that I still have that natural mother thing of did I give enough did I give enough and there's not one part of me that regrets one moment not even one second of responding or holding or being with my children like I, uh, it gives me like so much gratitude that I did it. So I just think it is so hard when you're in the middle of it. Um, and then so rewarding for the rest of your life that you can look back with so much pride um, at what you did. But I, yeah, I do want to acknowledge that it's nuts when you're in it. <laughs> just yeah. it's really hard with two. How have you found the transition to having two? um rough (laughs) um yeah yeah. I mean it was probably harder in ways I didn't expect um just because my pregnancies and births and early days were so different um that just because you've done it once you think oh okay cool I've got this I know what it's going to be like and no after my boy like it was kind of bounced back into everything um and but with my daughter I had been going I've been kickboxing up until 37 weeks and I thought I'm the fittest I've been I'm great this is going to be like a great post-recovery once I hit the six weeks mark I'm going to be straight back at the gym and but at six weeks I could barely walk (laughs) um and no one had prepared me for that um that things could be so different like in my own body um I think that was the biggest shocker that was hard with that um I was grateful that I had them further apart um because my boy he was almost four when Mm -hmm. my daughter was born um we purposefully wanted a bit of a bigger gap because I wanted him independent and toilet trained and fully communicating and all of that and so in some ways that made it easier because he could do everything I wasn't dealing with two in nappies and all of that um and he was still breastfeeding so that actually helped to connect the two of them that they could feed together sometimes or that he didn't feel he'd been kicked off for the baby or anything um but it was more when she got to about 12 months and she started stealing his toys and knocking down his towers he's kind of like oh wait (laughs) you're not just another little toy (laughs) you impact me and you change my life 
and that's when he struggled and so that's when I struggled um with trying to get everything done and I mean things are better a bit now we'd because he'd been in daycare a little bit um it was just gives him a great time because he's just with three other kids and he gets attention and all the stuff that with her because she sleeps on me for three hours her yeah. middle of the day nap is three hours going well what am I going to do with him during that time and so but this year we'd stepped it back he was going to do just one day instead of three days of daycare and after two weeks it was they were at each other's throat all the time and she pinches and bites when he he loves her but he loves her too much he wants to hold her he wants to pick her up he wants to squeeze her he wants to feel her chubby little cheeks and she goes nah I'm gonna pinch you I'm gonna bite you um (laughs) and then you've got two screaming kids so he went back to daycare three days a week and now that's much better we've kind of found that balance um but yeah, it was just interesting, I guess, having the bigger age gap that more of the struggles came later for us rather than in that initial period, that the initial period was more my own physical struggles. But, mm. Yeah. Oh, that's such a fascinating discussion. And food, food for, uh, for thought for anyone thinking of adding in new babies about the gap. Mm. Um, if I had my time again, and like probably the one thing I would change it, I mean, I wouldn't change it now because there's so it's we we got through it. We got through it, and they're so close. Mm-hmm. But I um I just let my body. I was breastfeeding. I was what they call ecologically breastfeeding my first, which is fully on demand, um twenty four seven. Okay, so it's like it's like the same as um breastfeeding on demand, except breastfeeding on demand. A lot of people are putting you know this they're putting the baby to sleep in another room and sleep training and stuff. So it's not. It, um, the ecological, ecological is just like full access to the like you know they can okay. breast and and that is supposed to um naturally space your children the way that your body and nature wants you to like the breastfeeding naturally spaces so as long as you're ecologically breastfeeding your body will only get pregnant kind of when nature has decided that you could take on another child because it's kind of screening how much breastfeeding your first is doing this is the theory right um, that that level of prolactin suppresses the sex hormones, et cetera, et cetera. So I sort of left it up to nature to decide, and that left me with about a two-and-a-half-year age gap. Um, yeah. But without a support network around me that had aligned values when it came to parenting that I could actually trust leaving my children with because I knew that they were responsive, I, knew, I didn't have... I didn't have a network that had the same values of parenting. I had a network that believed in sleep training, a network that punished kids, mm-hmm. a network that yeah. might be maybe even hit kids, you know, maybe they don't anymore, but certainly when I was little. And so, yeah, um, yeah and I just didn't know. And there was like no way I was leaving my children, you know, and, and a network that believed in wheeling babies around in prams with the babies screaming and getting no response. So there's just no way I was going to outsource the care of my babies to any of that. So it was just, my husband and I, um, and he was working a lot, of course, because he was <laughs> keeping a roof over our heads. Um, so I think a two and a half year age gap when it's just the one mama doing the parenting 24-7 uh, was probably <laughs> too much of a stretch. Um, so I think four years, like if I was to do it again, I think four years would have been um, really good because as you said, they can talk and everything. But Quite, you know, similar to you once, my the, my first six months was like the easiest of having two. 
um when the baby was like just basically in the carrier just this thing breastfeeding yeah. in the baby carrier and then on the floor yeah. cute and then but once she could start to crawl and grab um and assert yeah. herself that is when it all started to crumble and I started to get burnt out and I was similar I um my eldest turned three and I was um I was also tandem breastfeeding them as well so I breastfed all through the pregnancy and was then that I've got to say that really did help their bond that was wonderful um so my eldest turned three though I did enroll her in the local preschool which you can start till three and that you know if I didn't have another baby, would I have done that? No, I probably would have waited till she was four, done four-year-old preschool. But with once I had a, two mobile children and this kind of conflict that you're discussing, mm-hmm. um, I found I had to put her in that three days of preschool as well. And that was just, yeah, that was a game changer yeah. as well. So similar journey in, in that regard. So what do mm-hmm. you feel, what do you feel responsive parents need? so that it's not so hard in an ideal world what support would we be getting so that this is not breaking us so hard um I think it's that network that you were saying really because I did not have it at all for my first um I kind of managed to find a bit more of it um when I was pregnant with my second um which has definitely helped a lot um I think like in those early days, I'd say people who are just willing to to be there um, and to not judge. So they don't necessarily have to follow how I parent, but because the thing is I found people would come in and they'd say, oh, let me take the baby. Your arms must be sore or you must want to break. And the reality was, no, I didn't want to break. My baby was happiest on me. That's what I needed. Went, no, if you want to help, do the dishes. Bring me a meal, like do all of the other stuff. And you don't need to align with my parenting values to be able to do all of that stuff, which opened it up a little bit. Um, meant that I wasn't so picky about that. Because um, same thing, I wouldn't leave. I think my son has never been babysat other than by his grandparents who do things differently, but they really try hard to respect what we do as much as possible. Um, but yeah, my yeah, my daughter hasn't been away 18 months. I haven't had one night or even an evening. Um, I was just complaining about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. um, but sorry, you're saying what what can people do to support? How can they help? Well, I mean, I um, we just take a moment on that point. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, that yeah we do need the network and we and and I I think you've raised a really good point that a lot of people that want to help they don't really want to help they want to have baby cuddles they're coming to kind of take and have a bonding experience if you really want to help a mother you get and you do everything other than holding the baby because all the mum wants to do is sit there and hold the baby that gives them oxytocin that helps them bond it's it's best for both the mum and baby to just be there with the mum holding the baby um and I was the same, like people would take it, give it to me. And I'm like, I'm now stressed. And like studies have shown yeah. that when you spread a baby and a mum, they both get an elevation of cortisol. Yeah. This person's just made it much worse. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you basically mothers need everything outside of holding the baby. So everything that woman had to do to keep the household running prior to having a baby, she can no yeah. longer do. She's now holding the baby. That's the help that she needs. 
Um, I did have a wonderful neighbor that popped in from time to time, just randomly every now and then, like once every six months, she'd just show up with 20 minutes. And I was like, whoa. And she just like, <laughs> bring, bring a meal and clean. And like, that was incredible. Um, I think if people had that, like that would be awesome. Um, but you said something else I wanted to touch on oh, about the different parenting or, oh, it's, I've lost it. Which, oh, I know. You said that you haven't had a break um, in 18 months. And I think uh, when I was about maybe probably 18 months in with my, my eldest, um, I was feeling so burnt out that I decided to have one hour away at a kinesiologist. And that was a big deal for me. I had never been, I had actually been away um, from her and I gave her to um, my husband who I trust very much with our children. He's very much, it's not like I'm trying to convince him to parent the same way. It's like he wants to parent. It's his idea too. So that's nice. And like when someone is actually what they how they want a parent you don't have to be worried that they might just undermine you and do it differently like no, like that's actually what he wants as well yeah, so yeah. I could I could give my baby to her I went in and that this kinesiologist just said to me Elise I need you to give me 10 minutes every single day where you're having a break I want you to just walk to the end of your street where there was the ocean I want you to stare at the ocean for 10 minutes a day and like that was a real stretch for me. I was really in the habit of not doing anything and it had taken all my strength to give this woman one hour. And then she was saying, you need 10 minutes. And, but I, I just want to pop that in there because it did change my life. All right. I would go down and I'd stare and I would just meditate for 10 minutes. And um, from there, I sort of started trying to bring meditation in a lot more. When I was breastfeeding, I would try to meditate instead of look at my phone. When I was lying down to sleep, I tried to meditate. And just someone telling me to slow my mind down, stop, clear my mind often, um, was very helpful. So you just reminded me when you said you're 18 months in, no break. I just I just remembered something that if anyone else is listening and is in the same situation, I just remembered an experience I had that was just yeah really helpful during that phase. And the other thing I want to say is you don't have to worry about getting your children used to other people either. That's that's a scam. They don't actually have to be away. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They form their idea of what the world is and if it's a safe place based on their relationship with you and if you've got they've got secure attachment, they literally think every other person is like that too. <laughs> you don't have to teach them about other people. They go out expecting everyone to love them because that's all they've known. My children are exceptionally social. It's unbelievable. My eight-year-old just had her first night away from me ever last night. She had a sleepover. Um, and this stuff just, it just comes around so quick. You don't have to push any of it. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, it just reminded me what some people, you've got to get the baby used to being cared for by someone else. You know, like you don't. If you need a baby, well, that's fine, but you don't actually have to force that. Um, so my question is, when did you decide to be a stay-at-home mum? Um, probably when I was about six years old, <laughs> I, uh, my mum, um, she was a, um, oh, I forget what the term is, but like she, um, went in to help other people in their homes, um, like a care worker kind of thing. Um, and so when I was little, she would bring me along with her and she would look after the adults and I would look after the kids, um. And I would take the babies out and that was my job. And um, yeah, so I always knew that that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to um, 
give them that. And although I've worked all through my life and had jobs that I love, but I've never really been career oriented. I've never wanted to climb the ladder or like I've enjoyed a job, but it's never been a, this is my purpose of being kind of thing or really long-term fulfilling. Um, and so I knew that I always wanted to have kids and to stay at home with them. Um, yeah, I just think I, I don't like what I see in the world of where people will have kids and then like I know in some countries they have to go back at like six weeks old to work and different things like that. Or I see like both parents working even like with, when they don't have to. Like I understand sometimes you don't have a choice or it can be really hard. And there's all different situations, but I see so many people around that they don't have to go back to work or they can easily do part-times or they can be creative and flexible like other people are. But I see people who they work full time and then their kids are at school and then all weekends as they grow up, they're doing all their sports and extracurriculars. And it's kind of like, so you had kids to not hang out with them. Um, <laughs> and mm. that didn't feel right to, for me um yeah yeah if I was gonna do something I was the same like if I want to do something I want to do it well you know yeah when I do parenthood I wanted to do it well <laughs> from what I understand um and from what the research shows is being with the maternal mother with the the breastfeeding mother um mm. in the first at least three years um so yeah it's I love that you had such clarity at age six that's <laughs> so cool um <laughs> From yeah. a really young age, I knew I wanted to have a really young age. I would declare I was going to have heaps of babies, and then yeah. I changed my whole course of it went in my teenage years and decided I was going to be fiercely independent and a career woman. But then once I fell in love um, at eighteen, it, it all came back online, and I was like, "No, I have all these babies now." <laughs> but if I was going to have babies, I knew I was going to be. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom because I just. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did not see that if I was going to keep a career on track, then I was like, what would be the point of having, I don't understand. I'm going to keep a career yeah. on track, keep my career on track. I'm going to have children. I'm going to have children. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think the thing to remember is that you could take 10 years out, even 20 years out being a stay-at-home mom mm. and you still have like 40 yeah. years to have a career. Yeah. You know? uh, like it's... Yeah. Do little, you know, once they're at primary school, for example, you've got out a few hours in the day. I mean, not really. It's a lot of time to clean and do family admin and whatever. But but if you wanted to outsource some of that, um, you would have time to have, have a business venture while they're, you know, there's just, yeah, yeah. totally felt the same with them. Um, and, and I think, honestly, it's, it's a pretty courageous thing to be a stay-at-home mom these days because all of society is trying to, coach us back into the workplace there's such a movement yeah. by economists to get women back yeah. in and get them contributing to the economy you're supported with free you know kindergarten in Australia you're supported with childcare subsidies you don't get stay-at-home mom subsidies unless you're a single parent but if you're a stay-at-home mom you don't get a stay-at-home mom subsidy but someone else will get a subsidy if you outsource the care uh, sorry someone yeah. else get paid and you'll get a discount on paying them so there really is very much so much support to get women back into the workplace and no support to be a stay-at-home mom. So yeah, I so I found on like on that note and related to one of the other things about how you can uh, like what help you need, but that's very related to this. Um, is 
that I think we need to be allowed to um, to share about our struggles because the thing is is that whenever I struggle, go I haven't had a break in eighteen months, then I'll have people go, yeah, but you chose that in the way that you parent, kind mm-hmm. of thing, and so I think having those friends or those people around you who you can be free to take going it doesn't mean you have to fix everything and I'm not saying that I regretted it or I chose differently but at the same time I think we need a a safe space where you're allowed to go here's my stuff this is hard I still I'm not going to change anything I want to be doing this but Mm. I'm allowed to say that it's hard Mm. at the same time without people saying well then go back to work or go do this um and yes I think people go okay working parents are hard because you have to you do your job and then you come home and do everything else but there's not as much acknowledgement that the the stay-at-home mum going look that is a full-time job (laughs) in and of itself Um, and it's harder because you don't have that little break for yourself away so easily you're a hundred percent there all the time um and so I think that kind of acknowledging that and having a safe space, whether it's even with your friend who's doing LifeWise or whatever it may be, to support those mums and to go, hey, we're just going to listen to you. That's all we need. That that is probably one of the best ways that we could support mums, I think. It's so true. Like when people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so exhausted from work. No one's like, well, you chose to have a job. Or someone's like, I'm yeah. so exhausted from uni. No one's like, well, you chose to go to uni. Everyone's like, yeah, I know, yay, almost yeah. the weekend. Um, you yeah. know, no one says maybe you should stop working because you get tired yeah. of work. Um, but people just don't value the work of responsive mothers. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, yeah, it's so true. We don't need to be told to stop doing this thing. You don't stop doing something just because it's hard work. No one would achieve anything mm-hmm. of any value if people stopped doing stuff and they were hard yeah. work hard work you should putting in hard work and say well no wonder it's hard you're putting in a lot of effort and like good on you for putting in that effort and for committing to something that you value and for working so hard for your children you know yeah yeah, I know there's there's like very I mean isn't it funny there's a lot of lack of empathy from the sleep trainers I mean, like, why would I be surprised? That doesn't sound surprising. Yeah, they're willing to let their own most vulnerable, most dependable, most helpless things scream themselves to sleep. Why would they have any empathy for adult me, really, when I think? But, yeah, there's a lot of, like, well, you didn't sleep train. Like, there's no, you know, well, you know. um, Like, I had extreme morning sickness, uh, and one of one of my parents inferred that it was because I wasn't um, getting enough sleep, getting enough sleep with my first. Uh, it was sort of like yeah. whatever happened, like this is of your fault because of the parent, the way you're parenting. Anything that happened, it was my fault. But if anything happened to the other mm. children that were doing more mainstream parenting, um, they made yeah. every excuse in the world. Oh, genetics. Oh, da, da, da. Yeah. oh, because, you know, because X, Y, some other person that we can't down the street so that we don't have to take accountability, they did something. They they justify yeah. everything to support this thing so that they can feel better about also having neglected their own children. They need to prove that the next yeah. generation that's also neglecting is doing a good job so they can feel good about themselves. Um, but what that does is it yeah. leaves, you know, responsive parents 
Uh, and I call it neglect, by the way, because if you look up emotional neglect, persistent ignoring of a child's cry is emotional yeah. neglect. Um, yeah. I think people yeah. forget that. They're like, no proof of harm. Like it's neglect. Look at the studies on neglect. And anyway, that is proof of harm. But um, yeah. that, I'm getting sidetracked in my passion subject. But um, <laughs> easy to do. I get it. <laughs> I falling in that hole. Let me rant about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think that's a really important one is if someone is going to the effort of responsibly parenting, like they just need to be out of vent sometimes and that venting will help them then carry on, you know, yeah. help them get it off their chest. It's called co-regulation. It's being interdependent with other people is being able to complain to them and to hold space and helps regulate your own emotions and hormones and you, it helps a stressor not become a trauma because you were able to share it with another human. It's not something that needs to be fixed. Absolutely. This grinds my gears with people that say, oh, so-and-so wasted X amount of years in talk therapy. It's like, it's not a waste. That was human connection, yeah. regulation. And the amount of things yeah. that turned into trauma had they not been witnessed by another human. Um, you know, yeah. yes, 20 years of connection and they needed 20 years of processing and that because they needed, you know, that, that was a safe space that they found. And it's because there's a real you know, route of people in society that know how to give emotional support. So of course they've got to find someone they're going to pay for the emotional support. And then the people yeah. emotionally neglect judge the people that find the emotional support. Anyway, I'm getting a bit I wonder how it all starts when we ignore the needs from very young babies and then we're surprised that this is what we turn into as adults. Yeah. Yeah. How can we be surprised in <laughs> mental health crisis when you know, the, the the role of like motherhood has pretty much been eradicated and commercialized and consumerized and um, given no value. It's like, yes, that's great. Now give it to someone who's going to earn way less than you so you can go and earn a lot. And, um, you know, it's yeah. uh, no one sees the actual value, but there's a lot, a lot of long-term value to the economy in mothering. I think people are just too short-sighted. Yeah. They're only looking at the instant that what the, the annual financial income yeah. rather than looking at the investment in building up children for the future who okay maybe those mm -hmm. children might take 20 years out of the economy but then what what about the 40 years they've put in that's probably going to be far more yeah. high value with a securely attached person the innovation the creativity because they have access to the prefrontal cortex i mean the value to to our and also not only that the most valuable thing in life is relationships and if you're putting people to society that know how to connect with others I mean, that's what's mm -hmm. going to keep all these other people afloat. Where are they going to find the people to be good therapists? Um, yeah. You know? So I think it's just yeah. it's short-sighted. Um, yeah. Seeing your greatest rewards of responsive parenting. Oh, just, just being able to see these little people just to witness their lives and just how precious that is and to be part of that and to see I guess my little boy he's now five so I have been able to see a bit more of his journey and as he's taking his steps out into the world and a little bit further away from me um just to see who he is and see like the confidence that comes with that and the joy in other areas and just who he is and knowing hey I helped to create that um that he has such confidence because whenever something goes wrong or he's upset or he's hurt, where does he come? He comes running back to mum 
no matter what. Or even if I get grumpy with him or he's done something wrong, he always comes to me. He always tells me um, that the emotional language that he has, um, he had a sleepover last weekend with his grandparents um, and they came back telling me the next day all these stories um, and mum said, so we had to work something out and Oliver came and said, grandma, we have a problem. He said, but don't worry, I have the solution. <laughs> and she was just flabbergasted to hear this kind of language from a five-year-old. Um, and I just loved it. And that even now, like the relationship that I can have with him um, and that he's, he's still a kid, but he's also, I can also see the little part of adult in him, I guess, that I, I struggle with how we often treat children as lesser just because they're younger and smaller um, and that whole childism thing that I really disagree with. Um, and so going, yes, he's a child, but then seeing him as his whole person um, and, yeah, just the beauty that is going, look, for the most part, I actually really love hanging out with him. It's like hanging out with another friend, um, 90% of the time I reckon <laughs> um but yeah that I go hey this is a kid who I actually like hanging out with um and with his little sister we're seeing her personality come out she's yeah she's already her own little person and just to be witness to that go I am here with you I'm not missing all of this while I'm off at work or you're off somewhere else we can do this and do life together and be our own little community and just all the quirks and I wouldn't give that up for the world oh it's so beautiful and mm. I, I find that those velcro babies are just they turn into the most phenomenal humans oh my gosh yeah. my my eldest her her emotional intelligence, her thirst for knowledge. It's like, it's unbelievable. I've had, yeah. I had a, her school teacher tell me that in 35 years, 35 years, she's never seen a child progress so fast that, you know, oh, wow. that the contributions to the class discussion, she often thinks the kids should get up yeah. in class. Um, and yeah. I think what, if you're confident enough to put up your hand and contribute because you see adults as secure and if you're, um, calm enough within yourself to be able to access creative thought um, yeah. and this sort of stuff. It's just, yeah, I, I think, gosh, if, yeah, it's it's so hard in those yeah. early years when you've got the highly sensitive baby, but they turn into these really, their brains are so interesting to converse with and, yeah. to, and to, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so cool. But that's... um, I think part of it, I think, is also because I noticed the differences like amongst my group of friends I was one of the few who did baby wearing um and um and for my boy like he was always up here so whenever I was having conversations he was there he was part of it he was up at our level he wasn't stuck down in a pram somewhere where you kind of forget about them or you talk about them as if they're not there um and so I found that he from the get-go was great at communicating with people he didn't see adults as these big scary people like often you'll have kids who they're good with kids but then they see adults as big and scary or authority figures and and that's never been a thing for him is that he treats all adults and children the same and sometimes like 
you see an adult will kind of get taken aback that he's addressing them just like anyone else or like he's an equal heaven forbid <laughs> yeah, but, yeah yeah I had never thought of that my children are the same they they're really um um confident with teenage like the, you, know, you see cool teenagers hanging out and even adults are a bit like intimidated yeah, yeah. like they'll go up and yeah. be like show and they'll just yeah. yeah but I thought I did so much baby wearing with both of them and that means that they're yeah. involved in all my adult conversations they're up here yeah. and they're meeting adults almost at the same height so they're not these yeah. people look up at but not only that you know it's been shown that um being in the arms or body contact of um, your parent dampens the stress response. So imagine if yeah. on your body and then you're talking to an unfamiliar adult, they're getting a dampened stress response yeah. while they're seeing a new a new person. So they're quite regulated while being introduced to a new adult. I hadn't thought about that. And also the language of being up and they do, when they're in the baby carrier, they're so funny. They watch you and they watch. Yeah. And so they're watching your language. They're watching you talk. Mm-hmm. So much closer for vocabulary. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. And people interact with them more as well. Because like with my daughter, I think people assume like a Velcro baby, oh, you're so attached and no one else but mom. And so that they're going to be these shy people who are just like mommy's boy or mommy's girl or whatever. Um, and my boy was like that a little bit more. But my daughter, who also likewise got carried all the time, same thing. Um, and yet she's the little social butterfly. And being up at that level, is that wherever I was like in line at the coffee shop or at the supermarket is people would be having these conversations and I'd kind of turn around and they'd be having a conversation with her Um, (laughs) because she was there at their level and she was looking and smiling and laughing and waving and engaging with them because she was up there, not just this, oh, there's that cute little teddy in the pram down there. Um, And so, yeah, she could have that, but as well, it's just, it was showing that doesn't mean that they're going to be just attached to you and not going to deal with anyone else. Yeah. I mean, children have a developmental design to start developing separation anxiety around nine months. It's developed, it's, it's appropriate. It's a bit of a concern if around nine months, the baby doesn't develop some separation anxiety because it's a survival mechanism. They start to be able to move around and walk and crawl more. They need to, they need to now know they need to stay closer to mum. Uh, to, to a, a secure yeah. attachment to stay safe so they're meant to go through this weird clingy phase and the yeah. only way they get through it appropriately without shutting down or having a adaptive trauma response that is to go avoidant or to go more anxious but if you want them to actually just be secure in that you've got to just let them be as clingy as they want for as long as they want yeah. and then depending on the temperament of the child they eventually grow out of that and once they do because it was all their needs were met they branch out yeah unbelievably confident so much confident more confident than the kid that was forced like they're just yeah Yeah, it's let your let your baby or your child be as clingy as they want because when you regulate that clinginess um it helps them form the security to feel that like that that they can branch out and my children are like they're not they're 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 not clingy they're very bye mom you can drop me off here bye (laughs) they're really social um Yes, you know, we just tried to pick up my daughter from her sleep over this morning and we had to come back home without her because she wasn't ready yet. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, and she she loves going into school and socialising and they're, they're not at all clingy. They're like, they're both are very into public speaking. 
Um, I um, I became a um, international best-selling author, and I went to the book launch. And my yeah. my child, who was then seven, got up on stage and gave a speech, just impromptu, like super. Wow. Both of them were dancing around the stage, but like they're very confident kids. So there's absolutely, yeah. in my experience, yeah, no truth to the. Um, if you meet their needs, they'll become highly dependent. It's like, no, they're meant to be dependent. You meet right. their needs, they develop in independence. The way you regulate them in their dependency will become how they regulate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And because like then they choose to go off when they're ready. Of course, they're going to be more confident because they know that they're ready as opposed to you trying to force them away. And then it's not only are they going into something scary, but wait, the person who's my safe place doesn't want me to be here anymore. And then where is their safe place? That makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so nice to talk yeah. to someone on the same page. Um, so is yeah, there anything, <laughs> is there anything yeah. I haven't asked you today about parenting that you haven't had a chance to share? I mean, we could go on all year, right? But <laughs> um, nothing particular springs to mind, I think. Awesome. Yeah, well, good. I just want to say like, a huge, huge thank you for taking the time. I know you're in a really intense season of motherhood. It's still a very high need season. Um, so thank you so much for finding the time to come onto the podcast and to share your story. I, I think this is partly, I'm hoping, creating a community feeling of knowing that people aren't alone in their choices. Yeah. There are people out there that are yeah. doing it similar. Um, the whole world isn't, you know, Putting the leaving the baby alone, crying itself to sleep, and running back to work. Um, that there yeah. are people there that are listening to their instincts and are following the lead of their baby and and their children. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all going to be we're, we're playing the long game. It's going to be so worth it in the long yeah. game. You're the only person that has to kind of sit in the bed that you make, right? And when you make the bed of yeah. amazing connections with your children, like it's you're the only one that has to live your reality and you're the one that will get to enjoy the fruits of that labor later on. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate you doing this as well, because especially in Australia, we don't have as many people who seem to parent this way that I know of compared to some other cultures. So especially hearing Australian voices of women doing the same thing is really valuable, I think. So thanks, Elise. Oh, that's really lovely to hear. Yeah, when you think about it that way, just hearing the same accent say say something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my. knowing the people around you, like there could be someone else at the grocery store and you don't know her story, but maybe she does the same things at home as you do um, and you just don't know it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. A lot of women came forward to do the podcast, which was like amazing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. maybe there'll be three people. There's <laughs> um, a lot. And that was just the people that happened to see the post within, you know, on that day in that hour. Yeah. It's probably um, just way more. Um, so it is, yeah, it is really wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm wishing you all the best with the rest of your parenting journey. Thanks.